Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I am Gage Jordan, an intern at Christ Church Conway in Conway, Arkansas, and a seminary student. Gage, we're excited to be back on episode number five. We have uh, appreciate everybody's patience. We had a little uh, technical difficulty last week on one end of the conversation. <laughs> Yeah, that was absolutely on me. We're still uh, working out the kinks of uh, being a startup podcast and kind of learning as we go. And it would help if I actually plugged in the microphone and switched the input instead of just recording off the laptop. Sorry for anybody that had difficulty listening to episode four. Well, this, hey, this podcast is about grace and forgiveness. And so thank you for your confession. You are assured of pardon. <laughs> I am forgiven. I appreciate it. Well, folks, we've been talking about theology and the Bible, and so far we've been focusing each week, each episode, on an item in our Reformed Church's uh, Sunday morning liturgy. And we've been endeavoring to, uh, piece by piece, part by part, explain why we do what we do on Sunday morning in, in incremental segments. And so far, We've discussed the assurance of pardon, uh, which is super important to us, so important that that's what we named the podcast. Uh, We've discussed the corporate confession of sin. Uh, We discussed the Lord's Supper, and we've discussed what a liturgy is. Now, Gage, not all churches do all of those liturgical elements, right? Not everybody does a call to worship or a confession of sin. Not all churches give a, a, a corporate assurance of pardon, and not all churches practice the Lord's Supper with much frequency. Some of them just do it monthly or quarterly or whenever they right. think about it. Right. But what I'm what we're going to discuss today is something that, in some sense, all churches do on Sunday morning, and that thing is the preached word, the the sermon. But we might, even though all churches, it, with uh, for all due respect, in, in all intents and purposes, since all churches do sermons. It doesn't mean that we would all agree about exactly what a, what makes a sermon a sermon and, and what a sermon ought to contain. Right. So uh, what I'm hoping we can do a little bit today is talk about what the purpose of a sermon is, what we're hope what the minister is hoping to accomplish, have the word accomplish in the hearts of the people on Sunday morning and and just what what's a sermon's purpose mm. but to help us get set the tone, let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says, and starting in verse 20, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So preaching Christ crucified. Uh, Gage, what does that look like every Sunday? Does that mean I can never leave the New Testament? (laughs) <laughs> to to pre- If Paul says, I'm only going to preach Christ crucified, does that mean every sermon is just going to be a, um, maybe a, a, a good Friday An account Friday of the sermon? crucifixion, yeah. I, I think even even before we get into uh, what preaching is, uh, we have to kind of set the tone a little bit for how um, you and I in, in the, the Reform world and Reform Christianity, and particularly in, in the Presbyterian uh, faith, process uh what we believe the preached word is uh we refer to it as a one of the means of grace meaning this is one of the things that god has given us to communicate grace to us and we would see that the means of grace are the preached word prayer and the sacraments and we believe that these three elements have to be in the worship service every single week because we believe these are the things that God has given to communicate his grace to us. So from the beginning, we need to understand first and foremost that the preached word is grace being communicated to us. And when we start there, then we can read passages like what Paul is saying and we can process them in uh, the right context. Because when, when Paul says, I, I preached Christ, he doesn't just mean, I just gave you the Good Friday sermon. What he is saying is that God, from Genesis to Revelation, um, is developing one story. He is doing one thing in the history of redemption and um, in that history, it is culminating in the finished work of Christ. Now, for Paul, the canon wasn't complete yet. So he's primarily, even in, in that particular context, talking about the Old Testament by which he's preaching Christ and him crucified. And we understand that um, because when you look through the epistles, you see time and time again, Paul and the other apostles are continuously pointing us actually back to the Old Testament and saying, see, Jesus fulfilled this. And Jesus, see, this is what God was doing in Christ here. And see, this passage, this is what the prophets were talking about in anticipating the Messiah. And that Messiah is Jesus Christ. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you absolutely don't have to stick just in the New Testament. You should preach the whole counsel of God, all 66 books. Are you are you suggesting the whole Bible is about Jesus? That's exactly what I'm saying. To, to quote the great philosopher Shailen, all roads in the Bible lead to Golgotha. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. There's a a, a beautiful passage that when I when I came to understand it, it, it just absolutely uh, uh, blew me away to to get this because I I didn't just like you I didn't grow up in the reform tradition. Um, I, I, but to hear Jesus on the road to Emmaus talking to these two disciples, one of them named Cleopas, we're not given the other's name, 
um, the the resurrected Christ uh, walks up on these two disciples as they're walking uh, to Emmaus from mm-hmm. uh, from Jerusalem, and he walks up uh, to them and he says, "Hey, what are you guys talking about?" And their eyes are kept from recognizing him, and they said. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a, a, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides all of this, now is the third day since these things happened. Uh, moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then Jesus responds to them. Remember, these guys are are, are sad and downcast. And he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets, right? That's the Old Testament. All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter enter into his glory? And then here's here's the verse. And beginning with Moses... Moses wrote Genesis, right? And beginning right. with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the things, the script, uh, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So right. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, gives these two guys, they don't even know he's Jesus, gives them a full-blown uh, understanding of the the entire scripture in this seven mile walk which would take a quite a while to walk that and sure. showed them how christ is the center uh, of all of of the old testament yeah, so, don't you wish you were in that class <laughs> yeah it, it, it's it would have been the most supercharged amazing uh bible study uh lesson ever uh, and, and what's amazing about that story gauge and i know you're familiar with it and many of our listeners are familiar with it um they uh uh they invite him into their home and uh he and he he breaks bread and he gives it to them and their eyes are opened and they recognize that he's Jesus so there's this this amazing miracle where first the, their eyes are kept from recognizing that is Jesus then their eyes are opened and they're shown that he's they they realize that this is Jesus standing in for, before them and then miracle number 3 he vanishes before their sight Right. And they said to each other, and he vanished Didn't from their sight. They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within right. us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened right. to us the scriptures, which is amazing. So three, three miracles have happened. Eyes miraculously closed, eyes miraculously opened, and Jesus vanishes. And yet the thing that made their hearts burn within them was not those miracles, rather was understanding that Jesus, the is the, yeah. that Jesus is the center of the scripture. Absolutely. And that and that's what we're hoping for, right? Like in the proclamation of the word, every week, you know, we we can't as the preacher, we can't do it, but we're begging and asking the spirit, please open eyes, please change hearts, please let their hearts burn that the the spirit would come in and, and produce new life because of the word, not because of how elegant we are or, or how um, you know clever we are. We would rather just be clear, not clever, and proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
Amen. So we, we speak a lot about doing Christ-centered preaching. And some of our friends who are in um, maybe a broader evangelical context, when they hear Christ-centered preaching, they might think that means that, or even gospel-centered preaching, they may just think that means that you preach about whatever you were otherwise going to preach about, but you add the gospel at the end, that the that it's preaching that's invitational. Like maybe if you went to a... Right a revival and there's an evangelistic sermon give and that invites people to come forward and, 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 mm-hmm. and become believers in Jesus. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we mean when we say Christ centered preaching. No, not at all. And, and, and I think it's important too, to talk about um, what preaching is and what preaching isn't right. I, I have some friends um, and I know what they mean. And you know, I don't want to be the guy that well actually every statement that they make or, you know, is overly critical, but I have some, some pastor buddies that um, they'll be preparing for a message and they'll say, man, I'm, I'm getting ready for a talk. And I'm like, I, I understand what they mean. Right. So I don't want to be that dude and go, well, is it a talk or is it a sermon? Right. Like that's not helpful, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's more than a TED talk, right? Like TED talks are entertaining. Some of them are, are beneficial. I've enjoyed a lot of them. I've had friends that have done them even, right? But uh, it's not a TED talk. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm getting up and I'm opening the scriptures that I believe are infallible and inspired and authoritative. And I'm proclaiming, and you're proclaiming, Scott, and, and hopefully uh, preachers are getting up and, and proclaiming Thus says the Lord, right? And we're pointing people to Christ. So let's talk a little bit about um, what preaching is and what it what it isn't. I, I, I came across a, a very helpful book. I think it's public. We, we could put a link to it in the show notes, but it's from the it's from the folks at Nine Marks, and they gave a a three step breakdown of how to deliver a sermon. And it said, expound the text, humble the sinner, and exalt the Savior. So if we are preaching uh, expository sermons, um, you know, taking a passage of scripture, hopefully, and, and I think you and I, our preference would be uh, by, that our normal practice would be preaching through entire books of the Bible so that we're right. always interpreting these passages in context. I tell our, our congregation they could repeat it back. A text without a context is a con. And uh, I hopefully... Each week we are unpacking the scriptures, showing the context of what's going on and making sure that as we as we unpack this passage, that we are not divorcing it from the context and therefore shoehorning it or making it sound like something other, but that we're sound like something that it's not, but that we're putting it in its context and that we're giving people first and foremost, just a clear understanding of what's going on in this passage. Who's the original audience? What's going on there? Why is this being said? Are there some other scriptures that we might need to go to, to unpack this? So expound the text. Mm -hmm. And, And then if the text is, is calling us as believers to do something to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church or mm-hmm. uh, render unto Caesar, the things that are Caesar's render to God, the things that are God's. If it's calling us to do something, then really unpack that. What is this calling us to do? Right. Uh, th- third, do we do that? Well, um, 
and 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 the answer always is we don't do it well we don't do it well and and therefore exalt the savior show how Christ, what Christ has done Brian Chapel uh, in his Christ-centered preaching book, we'll talk about the fallen condition focus. How does mm-hmm. my how does my nature as a fallen creature make this command hard or impossible? And yeah, what has absolutely. Christ done? Yeah, what has Christ done about it? Yeah, um, you know, Kevin, my my pastor, will talk a lot about, um, and he he honestly is just picking this from from Michael Horton and and others. Um, talk about understanding the difference between the indicative and the imperative, right? Um, Mm -hmm. That every passage isn't telling you to do something. Some passages are telling you something about who you are, or some, some passages are simply just proclaiming to you the gospel. And then other passages, like often in the epistles, uh, you'll see Paul start out with a gospel proclamation this is what Christ has done. This is what the, the Trinity has done in the history of redemption. And in light of the finished work of Christ, this is who you are. And because this is who you are, this is then how you live, right? Um, it, it's really tempting. And I hear a lot of preachers uh, each week, um, they will preach indicatives, right? They'll, they'll preach uh, statements of as imperatives, as to-dos, um, and they'll do it under the guise of needing to have application in every passage. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's an Old Testament narrative, and the passage yeah. is just this is what this this is what happened, right? The application is this is what God was doing in the history of redemption to drive us to Jesus. And sometimes the application is simply look to Jesus. Um, because you are not sufficient in yourself to save yourself. You need a savior. Sometimes that's the application. And I think it's important to understand, um, yes, absolutely. What is the text saying? What is the context? Um, what, who were the original audience? What was the author's intent? Um, and then what is the Holy Spirit doing in the passage, um, even over and above the author's intent to point us to Christ, like in the Psalms where we see David making proclamation statements and us going, hey, that's about Jesus. Um, but even more than that, you could add to making sure you, you don't confuse categories when you're uh, talking about indicatives and imperatives and talking about statements versus to-dos. Because um, you'll uh, end up preaching the law instead of the gospel. That's exactly right. The, the, the famous um, sort of, if we're going to talk about this, this tendency to, to mishandle the scriptures in a sermon, the, the low-hanging fruit that's so easy to point people to that many of us unfortunately have heard is the preaching of David and Goliath. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a, a number of folks in the Reformed world that have done a great job of pointing it pointing this out, and that is to preach, tell the story of David and Goliath, and then to finish the story by saying, all right, David fought the giant that was Goliath. What's the giant in your life that you now need to go out and slay with God's help? Oh, no, um, no, 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 no. The, you're not, <laughs> you're not the giant, you're not David, you're right. not the giant, you're the scared uh, Israelites. That's exactly right. That our, our tendency is to hear a Bible story, find out who the hero is, and then rewrite the story with ourself as that hero. Right. Uh, right. What a narcissistic way to read the scripture. Yeah. In the story of David, and God, by the way, it's a narrative. That means it's a story. 
It's a true story. It's an account, but it's it's telling us something that happened. And at the end of the, the David and Goliath, the text does not say, go therefore and do likewise. So to, to say what you said another way, some scripture is narrative, meaning it's just telling us a story. And then the Israelites did this. And then the Egyptians did this. And then Pharaoh did this. And Moses said this, right? It's an account, a historical account of something that happened that's important that we need to know. And then sometimes it's didactic, which means it's teaching us something. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Or do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those are didactic passages that um, are telling us, the church, to do something. So it is a it is a very, very bad handling of scriptures to take Old Testament narratives and then twist them and put me in them. It's just not in the text. It's just not there. And it will lead people to despair. I'm not Noah. I'm not David. I'm not. All of those are pointing to Jesus. Keller, Tim Keller so helpfully has said, Jesus is the truer and better David who fought and defeated the giant of sin and death on your behalf. And his victory is imputed or credited to you, even though you didn't lift a finger. That's the beautiful thing about that story is it's, it's actually truly pointing us to Jesus. It's gauge. It's a substitutionary battle. Right. The, 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 the agreement between, between David and Goliath, as they come down to fight and Goliath is saying, beat me and you all go free. But if I beat you, you're all our prisoners. You're all our slaves. So this is one man standing in the place for all of Israel. Right. Well, if that's not and a picture of the gospel, then what is? Absolutely. And, and you know, that's why God gave us books of the Bible like Hebrews, where, you know, to talk about, again, expository preaching, going going line by line or theme by theme, um, pointing us through books of the Bible, through entire books of the Bible, so we can get the, the full picture of what God's doing. It's important to read uh, books and preach through books like Hebrews so you can see Jesus is the better Moses, and Jesus is the fulfillment of the offspring of Abraham, and Jesus is the is the better um prophet and jesus is the the better king and jesus and 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 it goes on and on and on right um that helps you understand what god was doing in the history of redemption and how um everything from the sacrificial system to the kings to the prophets to the, the the promises to the covenants all of those things are giving us pieces and and portions of this beautiful story uh being knit in Jesus, right? Uh, on Wednesday nights uh, in our youth group at Christ Church, we're, um, we, every spring semester we go through a section of systematic theology, and this, this semester it's doctrine of salvation. And so uh, we were talking the other day about the idea of providence. And one of the things I did with the kids is I went to Hobby Lobby and I got a bowl, uh, a ball of crimson yarn, and I had them at the end grab the yarn and kind of pull a string because I wanted them to see that, like, all throughout the scripture, it's as if there's this crimson thread that we have the privilege as preachers to go and find and see that whether it's the book of Ruth, whether it's Leviticus, whether it's um, the minor prophets, whether it's uh, even the in the in the law, all of those things are lined with a crimson thread that that points us to 
the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. A- amen. Uh, what, what unfortunately I think so often um, many, many of us run across in a lot of churches is uh, a sermon that probably sounds more like a the, the locker room talk at halftime that a football coach would give where it's a behavior modification talk. Um, straighten up and fly right. Get it together. Quit fumbling the ball. Come on. And there's a there's a, a either either a hard edge to it uh, or a soft uh, cuddly edge. But both of them are calling people to some sort of behavior modification. And there's a place for that. But it has to be in light of our new identity in Christ. But that has so often been uh, been removed from the the preaching that God's people are hearing, and instead they're getting sermons that are um, that could be topics for on the, in the TV guide for this week on Doctor Phil. Right, uh, five ways to deal with stress, how to set goals, how to make a plan. How to deal with difficult relatives? How to have? How to raise kids? How to? How to uh, find a spouse? How to get tough stains out of the carpet? Well, maybe not that one. But and, well, and that and that's the thing. Thing is, you hear that then, and you're given the okay. So this is what you're supposed to do, right? We you hear? I mean, going back to your your locker room analogy, um, the coach has stood in the pulpit and and. Tell it, told you how to make adjustments. And then what happens is you get to lunch and your your kids need a nap. And so they're cranky. And so you're um, frustrated because you're trying to get through lunch so you can get them down. And everybody's stressed out with each other. And you haven't made it 45 minutes out of church. And you feel like an absolute failure because all the adjustments that you were supposed to make on how you were going to be a better dad and a better husband and a better whatever uh, that day have gone out the window because of sin and because of brokenness and because of short-temperedness in life. Um, And then so then you're left with, man, there's no way I could possibly ever do this. Yep, that's exactly right. Steve Brown has has a quote. He says, have you ever showed up at church on Sunday morning with the weight of the world on your shoulders only to leave there with a to-do list? Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, I, I fear that, that that's so often the case is that is that weary Christians, weary pilgrims are being called to uh, behavior modification more than finding their rest in Christ. Um, right and and so often you'll hear well those prob- the problem with those with the, the this type of preaching some some one complaint will be is that it doesn't have enough application and by application they mean uh, the application is you know make make this list or do these mm-hmm. things what I, what but the I truth, do with this yeah it, you know I once had a preacher say the problem with your sermon is it doesn't have any verbs in it and <laughs> And I said, what about the verb believe? What about the verb trust? What about the verb rest in the finished work of Christ? What about the verb repent of looking to your own works to measure your security? Um, the, yeah, the sermon, or, or Jesus did it. <laughs> Jesus That's... did it. Jesus did the verbs. Um, yes. 
that God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him I may have the righteousness of God. I'll find the article. Uh, We'll link it in the show notes. But there was an article a couple of years ago that, that made the point. Not all scripture is meant to be applied. Much of it is just meant to be enjoyed. Much of it is just meant to be celebrated. And so that is that is our hope as we think through how to what a sermon is supposed to be, how a person should feel after the sermon. Should they feel should they feel lower than low? Should they feel hopeless? Should they feel uh, ready to take on the world because they have a new list of, uh, you know, they get a New Year's resolution every Sunday morning? Or should they feel that Jesus is more magnificent and more spectacular than I thought he was. Absolutely. And and that's, you know, why uh, both in your church and, and ours, we um, finish each sermon by going to the table, right? Because as the great hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. Like, we we don't need a to-do list. I don't need five ways to be better. I need the hope of when I'm not because I am not. Uh, and I need to know that the broken body and shed blood of Christ is enough, and that each week I can be honest with who I am and, and be honest with my brothers and sisters and then hear this means of grace this way in which grace is communicated to me from the proclamation of the word by the power of the Holy Spirit to my life, whether it's renewing and giving life and giving faith to me and then the the sacraments are strengthening my faith or for the first time as a believer, you don't hear how much you what you've got to do or you don't hear emotional manipulation. You simply hear, hey, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And then you hear about Jesus. And that's what should be happening every single Sunday from the pulpit. And if it's not, please find another church. That's please. Exactly right. I, and I will help you. Yeah. yeah. You are theologically malnourished. Um, you are you are being you there is there is in the scriptures a feast that is laid before you and 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 you are being fed junk food instead. And uh, you deserve you deserve better as a believer in Jesus. So um, and the, the truth is, Gage, we believe that the scripture makes clear to us that it is the preached word. It is the gospel proclaimed to people that changes people. Because the fear, again, is if you just preach Jesus all the time, people are going to go live like pagans. And we actually believe, no, that the preached word, that the gospel, hearing the gospel proclaimed to people, having their sin made clear and having the work of Christ uh, 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 made manifest every single Sunday that Jesus has not only uh, died for you, he's died as you, that God uses that kind of preaching to actually sanctify us, to actually grow us into the image of likeness of Christ more than any sort of guilt trip or manipulation, emotional manipulation sermons can do. Gage, I think we could talk about this for 10 more episodes. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. 
but uh, uh, we are we are out of time for uh, for this time. But if you if you have uh, if something you have heard from us today has uh, given you some thoughts, uh, you'd like to send us your feedback, then you can contact us through all the social media sites. Gage, will you close us out and remind people uh, how they can get a hold of us and follow more? Absolutely. Uh, so be sure and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us on any of those three platforms, or you can visit our website at assuranceofpardon.com. Uh, we sure would love uh, to know that you are listening and that we are uh, ministering to you. Uh, until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. Thanks so much. God bless. God bless.